All right. I am here with Michael Chandler, just a couple days removed from UFC 262. We are here to discuss everything, what's going to happen next. Um, you actually contacted me, so I should point that out first. I did. I reached right out said, hey, let's work. <laughs> and I saw Chael Sonnen as well. Chael Sonnen put up a video acknowledging that you had reached out to him and he's in a hotel. He's you know at a conference or whatever he's at. So you guys weren't able to meet up, but you're pretty proactive about jumping right into this. Well, right? I think... Uh... Well, number one, it, it depends on if you want to or not. And, and, and I do want to right away, you know, rip off the Band-Aid, get, get it out there, talk about it. Because I think, you know, I think before when I had losses, it led to a lost streak. It led, it led to a lot of self-pity. It led to kind of the downward spiral of being in your own head, being surrounded by these four walls in your own house with your small group of people hiding yourself from your loss, hiding yourself from the setback. Um, and I don't want to do that. You know, I want to, I want to move forward. I want to rip the bandaid off. I want to talk about it. And obviously if you want to talk about it, the media is not going to reach out to you. You know, I mean, I did, you know, I did busting with the boys yesterday, like a, a podcast. And when I reached out to him, I was, he was like, yeah, I mean, if you still want to come on, I'm like, of course I do. But so everybody thinks, you know, Hey, well, let's give him some time, let him lick his wounds. But for me, man, it's all work and it's all a blessing. And this is all part of the journey. You know, you can't have the highest of highs without having a couple of lows. A lot of fighters have talked about that loneliness after a loss, what it feels like. And you just feel like you're totally alone after a loss. Um, how did you feel after everything? Um, honestly, I, I felt the same. You know, I felt, I mean, I got a great group of people around me. Um, if they if I wanted them to be around me, they would 100% be around me. You know, I have the love and support of, a, of my wife. Um, I, man, I got, the, I got the same team that I've had for, for a long time, you know, as far as like my inner circle. Um, obviously my, my camps and my coaches and stuff have changed a little bit here and there. But, but for the last five years, it's been pretty much the same, same people. Um, so, I mean, yeah, <clears throat> the loneliness, I think, will only come if, those people are just like bouncing out. You know, I got a bunch of text messages on my phone right now of people who are like, hey, let me know if you need anything. Hey, let me know if you want to hang out. Let me know, you know. Um, but, you know, for me right now, it's only literally, but this is Tuesday morning. You know, this is like like the beginning of the week right after the weekend where I lost. So it's, it's brand new. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the best time to just start talking about it and start moving past it because the quicker you can move past this, the quicker you can start figuring out what is next, recalibrate, re reassess, look at, watch, take it all in, lick your wounds and you know, it comes in waves every now and then it's like, dang, can't believe that thing's over, you know? But we'll keep moving forward. Well, it seems like, you know, you're in, uh, I would almost describe your mood right now is almost like sober, but optimistic at the same time. It's not like you're super over the top cheery, but you're also, I don't know, it seems like you're ready to get after it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I hit the, I hit the ground running yesterday morning. It was Monday morning, I went and did a sauna. Um, I'm gonna do, do a workout today. You know I mean? I'm a professional athlete who makes, you know, his living with his body. So like that's, that is my job and I take my job very seriously. So I'll be hitting the gym every day this week. Um, you know, obviously with the way that the fight happened and taking damage, I'm not going to go to my gym and spar or do any kind of contact stuff, but lifting weights, running, hitting the sauna, uh, 
I'm gonna start vetting a couple more body work people here who can work on my body um, and stay on my roller, my Sorite, and I just make sure the body feels good. Supplement perfectly like I have been. I, like I, I never took a moment off. You know, every morning, every evening, I take my, my line of supplements that I have and I took them the night of the fight, took them the next morning and haven't stopped. So we're gonna keep on, the body's gonna stay fueled and, and stay good, so. It's pretty inspiring. So if you can compare that, that mindset, that focus, what did that look like with past losses? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think back to, you know, cause I think it's one of my, it's one of the, the big chapters of my story, you know, 688 days, um, is how long I went without winning a fight back in 2013 to 2015, something like that. Um, and after that first loss, you know, I got shot out, of, shot out of a can and I wasn't ready to lose. You know, I built up my physical body. I built up a big, fast, strong, powerful, athletic flesh and bones. But mentally, when I lost that fight, I immediately wanted to hide. I immediately thought I lost all this skill. I thought it wasn't that good. I bought into the, I bought into the lies that I was being, that was being told on social media and the media and the other fighters, and now he just wasn't as good as we thought he was. We knew he would fizzle out, blah, blah, blah. And then I started getting comfort and finding comfort in that jail cell of self-pity that I talk about. Um, whereas this time, I've been here before. You know, I've, I've been there before. I remember how, how down in the dumps that Michael was and how you know, like, like you described earlier, lonely, how lonely I felt because, and, it, and I think it's not as though the people didn't want to reach out to me or want to be with me. It was, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. It's, it's, it's like losing a loved one. Like, of course you want to say, you know, sorry for your loss, but you also don't exactly know how to approach that with somebody. You know, when you have a, a huge opportunity that's taken me 21 years to realize to step inside the UFC octagon and take a chance to win UFC gold. People don't know how horrible that is to lose. So therefore they also don't know how to reach out or how to win, how to say things. So it's, it's that loneliness slash people don't exactly know how to make contact, you know, like not, they're not gonna be like, Hey man, let's go grab some beers. You're, you know, like that, that, maybe they would say that like, had I won, but when you lose, they're kind of just like, you know, remember like poking on Facebook, <laughs> like if they could like maybe poke, you know, like let me just poke them, and, you know? Um, so it's, uh, man, it's just, I, the old Michael would have just hid from all of this and I would have like not done interviews. I would have not been reaching out to, to, to the media to say, Hey, let's, let's, let's move past this thing together. Tell my story because the quicker you tell the story, the quicker you can move past it. Yeah. So in looking at that, what do you feel like the story is right now? Uh, I mean, the story is just the, the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs of probably one of the most vicious sports on the planet. You know, it's just like, you know, we could very well be sitting here today with me having TKO to Charles Oliveira because it was that close you know, and it's such a game of inches and it's, and you're tied onto a tornado and everything can, can be going perfectly just like it was. I mean, there was a 10-8 round in the first round on two of the judges' scorecards. So, 
I got a 10-8 round against Charles Oliveira, who hasn't lost a round since 2017, I think. Um, you know, he hasn't lost a fight since 2017. So, and I don't think he really, in any of those fights, I don't really know if he lost any rounds. So he lost one round in the last four years, and it was to me, and it was a 10-8 round. So going into the second round, I was confident. It was good. 19 seconds in, fight's over. Um, so it's just... Uh, the ebbs and the flows and the ups and the downs and the accepting of you see you can't i think one of the one of the things about the sport is you can't accept and take in stride all the good things like the wins the belts the money the the media the attention the platform all of the the great things that this sport provides you you can't take all that in stride without also taking in stride the losses the pain the loneliness, the tough times, the the second guessing, the the tears, the lows, you know. Um, so I think it's just being able to tell the story between the two, the two extremes, that that this sport really is the highest of highs and it's also the lowest of lows. But if you don't, if you try to shy away from and not acknowledge the lows just because they're painful, then it starts to build and fester, and and it and it, and it won't it won't release you, you know. It will it will sink its teeth into you sink its hooks into you and it will continue to follow you um whereas when you just face the demons and you slay the dragon and you just kind of it's gonna you know it's gonna haunt me for a while but it's it's also the quicker i acknowledge it the more we can move past it yeah so uh speaking of just how fresh it is um you might have said this in passing when we first got here. I could hear you watching it downstairs. Mm -hmm. Was that literally the first time just a few minutes ago that you watched the fight back? Yep. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, obviously, with social media and YouTube or whatever, there's, like, little highlights. Because um, even, like, the, you know, the finishing sequence, you know, like, you never really know what you get hit with. It's such a crazy, you know, it's a, it's a crazy sport going on, and then, boom, you get hit with something, and you don't really know... Was it a hook? Was it a straight? Was it a kick? Was it, you know? Um, so yeah, that was the first time. So we can, just so I can kind of refresh my, you know, go through the pain a little bit, refresh refresh the memory of it all, see how it all played out, feel, and even just, you know, there's, there's a weird, uh, there's a weird like happy for Charles Oliveira in it too, you know? Because I think if, if I could just take out selfish me, you know, take out the selfishness, of course, Honestly, I think I deserve the belt more than he does. I think I've worked harder than he does. I think I, I think I'm a better fighter than he is. I think I, I think I was winning the fight. You know, I, there's all of these things that that I could say, hey, I deserve to have that belt, but I just fell short that night. But there also is is the part of me where I'm like, you know what? Life is life, and the evolution and the 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 circle of life or the circle of mixed martial arts. Is just is just a crazy one, and I'll be back and I'll be fighting for that title again. But watching him win it, you know, there's like a weird kind of happy for him too. If I can take my selfish me, you know, competitor hat off, so watching it is just kind of a surreal thing. Even though I'm literally watching my life like crash before my eyes, you know. So it's it's uh oh, it's it's an interesting thing, man. It's a crazy sport. Yeah. Why, um, I mean, I guess it's pretty understandable why you would wait, but thinking about you specifically and your internal reasons, what makes you wait until today, you know, not yesterday? What makes you wait a couple of days? Well, I probably wouldn't have watched it at all if you guys weren't here, actually. 
Um, and not, not for any other reason besides just, I mean, I was busy yesterday. You know, I, 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 we got here on Sunday, went straight to daddy duty. You know, my dad or my son just ran up to me and got in my arms. And then we hung out all day. Um, the rest of the day, we hit the ground running yesterday morning, six, see, he woke up at 6 a.m. I, I went in there and started cuddling with him and got him ready for school. And he went to, um, dropped him off at school, hung out with my wife a little bit for work. And then I went to the gym did a podcast, um, you know, so I was just kind of like working yesterday. Spoke to my managers a couple times, um, spoke to the UFC. Um, I was just busy yesterday. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it's not that high on your priority list. I mean, if I would have won, probably would have been the first thing I would have done, you know. Um, but it's also just like you never quite know when you're going to have that moment of, okay, let's go watch it, you know. It just kind of sneaks up on you. But today I was kind of forced to because I wanted to refresh my memory of it and you know gave me an opportunity to be like hey today's the day we're gonna watch it we're gonna look at it we're gonna analyze it we're gonna watch my dreams crash before my eyes and and like in and, and just enjoy the process enjoy the enjoy the 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 in real time emotion feelings that that comes about because I think that's what that's what that's what we miss as mixed martial artists too much. I think we, just as a whole, we try to play the tough guy. We try to play the, the trash talker. We try to play the, you know, the, the braggadocious Brody, you know, BA who, who the fans can't really relate to because they, and, the, and that, that tough guy shtick is kind of, I think, wearing off as well. I, I, don't, think the, I don't think the general public or the general fan really, needs to see us talk about how tough we are because we know we're tough. We fight in a cage for a living. Um, so to be able to break it down and humanize myself and humanize, I think the best thing fighters can do is humanize themselves to say, hey, just like you, you know, the average fan base, 18 to 35, male, whatever, like, I'm just like you, you know? Let's do this thing together. Yeah. Well, so you said you talked to the UFC. What did those conversations look like? Yeah, they uh, they called me and just were checking on me. You know, how you doing? What's going on? You know, just checking on you. You're world class. You're right in there with with the best of them. You know, so it's uh one of those deals. So it's it's good. And uh, spoke to my managers and we're we will uh you know we're gonna rebuild. We're gonna come back and we're gonna this will all be a a nice little chapter that that will close and. The sun's going to rise every single day, and we're going to keep on getting better and um, move forward. But so obviously, we're not talking about fights, we're not talking about matchups, we're not talking about dates. You know, I need to take a little bit of time off. I came in hot, man. Signed with signed with the UFC less than eight months ago, and it seems like I've been here for three years. You know, with the amount of stuff that I have done, two fights, fighting for a world title, the backup opportunity in Abu Dhabi. Um, been in training camp most of the last eight months, you know, honestly, most of the last year uh, in preparing for the free agency. So it's been a, it's been a crazy one. It's been a fast one. It's been a, a busy one. So now maybe we'll take a little bit of time off, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, so what do, what do you see in terms of that then? So your timeline, what are you kind of looking at right now? Is it just more about getting back in the gym and just getting into the flow of things? Or do you firmly have some goals set aside, like I want to fight in August, September, summer, anything like that? Um, no, I mean, I think before this fight, no matter what I was thinking, you know, obviously I thought I was going to win. 
that I was going to win, have the belt, and then we were going to wait to see Connor and Poirier fight in July, and then they would need two months to two months of time off. So that puts you into September, and then probably wouldn't fight till December, January, or whatever. Um, and I think that that timeline is probably still where I would like to be. You know, November earliest, um, December, maybe even January. I mean, I'm not getting any younger, obviously, um, but I still feel like I'm 25 years old. My body athleticism, speed, power, all of that feels phenomenal. I feel like I can do this for a long time. So uh, obviously the stakes are high, the competition is high. Um, so no matter what, I'll step inside the cage with a top five guy. Next next fight, um, by the end of the year, that'll you know put me right back into that number one contender spot or title eliminator type of, type of scenario. I mean, the great thing is, man, you look at the lightweight division, every single person in there is a killer. Every single person in there, you know, Dan Hooker, I think is now number, he's moved down to like number seven or eight, but, and then now Charles is number one, obviously, but I still got Gaethje, Poirier, Ferguson, Benil Dariush, you know, Connor, like those are all awesome fights. You know, I could do a, those could be my next four or five fights and like those are just bangers. So. Um, we'll see who the opponent is, we'll see who the name is, and we'll see who, you know, what the date is soon. We put out uh, a graphic yesterday, or rather Sunday after the fight, and most people seem to be pointing towards Gaethje as the fight that they want to see. Does that fight make sense to you in your mind? Um, I mean, I think they all make sense, to be honest. You know, anybody who's, anybody who's ranked ahead of me uh, I mean, I guess essentially Connor, Connor's the only guy who's behind me inside the top five. Um, but anybody who's who's in that one, two, three position after after Charles, you know, um, obviously Gaethje's a name that's been thrown around a thousand times since I since I signed. Um, and now that I have a loss in the UFC, maybe people will actually say yes to fight me. You know, I mean that was that was the tough thing that we that we were going through signing with the UFC is. Everybody either a felt like they they earned the right to say no to fight me because I'm the new guy, or they just didn't want to fight me for whatever reason. You know, I can leave that up to people's imagination. Um, but now that I have a loss, I would imagine people have been okay. I'll fight that guy now. You know, so great thing is I'm the number four guy in the world still inside the top five. I'll fight somebody inside the top five, and I'll be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if, if we can touch on some of the fight moments here, of course, we'll be doing a breakdown as well here on this channel. But as it relates to some of those moments, when you got him in that guillotine, for instance, did you think you almost had it? Did you watch, you know, for instance, the Pettis fight where Pettis was able to sub him back when he fought at 145? Was there a part of you that had planned for that, that you had seen something like that happening? No, I didn't really plan for it. I think uh, just with the way, I mean, obviously my takedown defense is, is great, um, but in the, in the fight, you can't help but get into an off-balance weird position after I was throwing and he took a shot and it was just, he was in on a, on a, on a great shot. So my instinct said, instead of sprawl and smash, just go with the guillotine and and go that way um but yes i had seen him getting guillotine before it wasn't something we really worked and thought i was going to be able to sub him um and truthfully i don't I, I don't think the guillotine was that tight 
um, you know, for the people who do practice martial arts in here, uh, listening to this, it's kind of one of those things where a guillotine can either be attacked or it can also be fallen into or a mixture between both. That one was kind of a mixture between both. I think I was in on a shot, so therefore it was a necessity, or he was in on a shot, and I wasn't going to be able to stuff said shot because I was already, we were in kind of a weird transition. So it was more of a necessity to go for the guillotine mm. than it was me actually attacking it. And then uh, when I was squeezing, I, I mean, I gave it a nice good squeeze, didn't really feel like it was, it was going to be there and I wasn't going to burn my arms out. Um, and then I did what everybody said don't do, which is turn and give Charles Oliver my back, which I love. And I proved to, proved to the world that that is my position. Nobody will submit me from there. I will get one-on-one -on -one and I will reverse you, just like I've done in probably 10 different fights. Like if, 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 that, if that position, if we get into that position, I'm going to give you my back. You're not going to be able to choke me. And I'm going to get the one-on-one -on -one and I'm going to spin in your guard or your, even your figure four like I did because that's kind of my, that's my position. And I just listened to Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan, which Joe, Joe loves jujitsu and thinks jujitsu is like the end all be all. It's not Joe, you know, Charles Oliveira is the best in the world, the best in the lightweight division. And he probably would have finished a lot of people there, but you're not going to finish me there. So, um, I have gotten in that position thousands of times in training to be able to get that one-on-one -on -one spin out, get on top and do damage. Well, can you talk about then, uh, your anti-jujitsu because that was one thing that you talked about a lot mm -hmm. going into the fight um what is anti-jujitsu well i think uh i think the biggest mistake that we can do as that we can make as wrestlers and a lot of times it's not even the wrestler making the mistake it's the coaches it's like you know they join a team and then the coach says okay you're strong you're athletic you have this great wrestling base you're going to transition really well into jujitsu and Luckily for me, I had a coach, Neil Melanson, who was a catch wrestling, more of a wrestling dominant coach who said, we're not going to teach any jujitsu. We're not going to teach you to go to your back. We're not going to teach you to even, you know, coincidentally go for something like a guillotine. Like I said, in that position, in this particular position, I would have much rather have been able to hit him with my hips, pull my legs back, smash him be in a front headlock and start doing damage but because of the because of how fast the transition happened and he was in on a shot i had to go out and go for the guillotine out of necessity um but i think the biggest mistake is these wrestlers who are so dominant at coming forward getting in your face pressure pick you up put you down be on top they start doing things that they think is mixed martial arts or jujitsu. It's like, I have to learn these new moves because that's what Hoist Gracie did. And that's how, you know, this guy gets out and this guy gets, gets out of the bottom via sweeps or half guard sweeps or, you know, different ways, these new moves when really, is, every, is everybody gonna be able to do what I did in the Charles Oliveira fight, go to my, you know, go to a turtle, let Charles Oliveira take my back, me get the one-on-one, -on -one, him have a figure four around my body, me slam him and then, you know, spin and, and get out. Not a lot of people are going to be able to do that, but to me, that's my style. Wrestle first, always be ready for the submission, tuck your neck, tuck your, tuck your limbs, be strong, be explosive, and, and really, you know, I've been training to just thwart all submission attacks for my entire career. You know, I'd, I'd much rather just 
stop somebody from submitting, you know, stop a submission and then be able to, because you did try to submission, bam, you take damage. Boom, you get hit, you know, here comes an elbow, here comes a fist. So it's kind of what it is. Pressure, submit, pressure, damage, submission is kind of my, my style. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so what, what actually is your belt in jujitsu? Do you have? Don't have one. Wow. Beltless. Yeah. You don't, did you say bogus? Beltless. Oh, beltless. Beltless. <laughs> I was like, man, you went full Habib because no. Habib had that shirt that said if Samba was easy, it would be called jujitsu. No. I, I thought you went there. No. Oh, man, I'm, just, I'm a black belt in wrestling. That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, you don't hear about that too often. And there are a lot of other fighters that are out of that school that people just aren't realizing are purposely choosing an anti-jujitsu route as you've laid out. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say anti-jujitsu because, like, because I, I, you know, I own a gym here in town and we have a great jujitsu program. But you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be there trying to get my belt. I, I guess I never looked at it. I guess I just never looked at jujitsu like I was, uh, like I needed to get the belt and the accolades. Like I, I kind of always just wanted to be a wrestler who stopped jujitsu players from submitting me or sweeping me or, or whatever. And obviously I'm not perfect. My style is not perfect, but I'm pretty dang good on the ground. I'm, and I've never been submitted. And I think I proved in the last fight with Charles Oliveira having my back. Like I think we, we could have fought 25 minutes there and he's still not going to, not going to submit me. Um, and I don't know if that's just my attributes or if it's my skill, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know where the, the God given abilities, start and then this jujitsu or anti-jujitsu wrestling skills begin you know um but i've just never uh as i said you know when i got into the sport neil melanson did we didn't really do belts we weren't really focused on it i've never worn a gi in my entire actually that's a lie i wore a gi one time for a promotional video for a kids <laughs> for a kids jujitsu <clears throat> for a kids jujitsu video we did for nashville mma my gym training camp and uh that was the only time I ever wore a gi in my entire life, and I had a white belt on. I had a white belt, so I'm a world champion in Bellator at the time. And people, people would post like, "Chandler's a white belt." Like, I'm actually not a belt at all. So if I could have not worn a belt, it would have been even better. Wow, that's absolutely. Or maybe like a an actual normal belt, like an actual <laughs> pants belt. That's yeah, what like I, a brown. That's black, what I should have done. Like yeah. Black belt buckle. Yeah. Um, well, then uh, you know, looking at where you almost finished him with strikes. One thing, so obviously you said that you just watched it with commentary. There was a point where Daniel Cormier said, oh man, he should just let him up. And that was after he kind of did the whole, you pointed this out in the post-fight press conference, the Benson Henderson kind of movement on the ground. You landed a bunch of shots there still, but after that you followed him to the cage, basically to the mat. Um, when you hear Daniel Cormier say that, and not just really, you know, Daniel Cormier to isolate him, I think a lot of people would say that. In your position, how much of that is adrenaline? How much of that is you had a plan to go there? Or how much of that is you did want to get up, but you felt like you almost had it? Like, how would you describe that position and following him there instead of standing it back up when he's rocked? Well, I think... Uh... Yeah, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So obviously, obviously, here we are Tuesday after the fight. You know, things could have been differently in a lot of different scenarios in the fight. So you can always play the what if game. But I would just say, I don't think it was the right decision or the wrong decision. I think it was just a decision. I mean, also, if you look at the amount of fights that I have finished on the ground via ground and pound, conventional wisdom would also say, if Charles Oliveira is down there and he's hurt, if I 
keep him down there and I get on top of him and I just beat on him for the next minute and a half, I might get the stoppage. You know, so I mean, I think that's where my mind was. Um, I think maybe right after he was rocked and still wobbled, I could have just backed off and maybe told him to come up. Um, but once I had gone down there and hit him with a couple more shots, beat him up with an uh, elbow, almost cut him open again with an elbow, um, you know, we were just, we, I, was in a, I was in a spot to be able to just continue to pour it on him, you know, and, uh, and that's where I was. I think I poured it on him for the end, till the end of the round. I went back to my stool, back to my corner, confidence sky high, ready for the second round, ready for the second round to be much like the first of just keeping the foot on the gas. And if it was a 25-minute war of attrition, I was eventually going to win, win that battle. So one of the easiest paths to to wearing somebody down as being on top of beating, beating on them, you know? And then especially him as a, as a jujitsu player, him not being able to, you know, throw up submissions or tie me up. He tied me up for a, a few seconds, which, you know, that was the only point where I was like, okay, this is kind of silly. Maybe we should stand up, but not really. You know I mean? I, I enjoy being on top in someone's guard. And then when I see an opening hitting them, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, so um, is there anything that you do want to say about the finishing sequence and, you know, watching that back for the first time? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's the fight game. It's a game of inches. I mean, Charles Oliveira did a, a good job of just, uh, I think he just, he stayed very, he stayed very basic and sharp. You know, he's got those long arms and he's, he throws ones and twos and, and hooks. I mean, we knew going into the fight film study wise, he doesn't throw a lot of long combinations. Um, he just throws one shot. Um, so we just needed to be prepared to, to not get hit with the one shot that he was going to throw. And I think I threw a, a right hand to the body, um, and then he followed up with a hook, perfectly timed, perfectly placed hook, boom, hit me in the chin, and then you know rolled backwards or whatever. And then, then I was up against the cage, and then that was the, kind of the finishing sequence. So it's just crazy. I mean, I think more than anything, it's just, uh, it's just unfortunate how it's not unfortunate. I don't want to say it's unfortunate. It's, it's just interesting how crazy the sport is that you can be, you know, you're winning that, that well in the first round and it was great. It was fun. It was entertaining. Houston was going nuts. People, people loved the slam. They loved the reversal. They loved me dropping him. Um, they loved him taking the shot and the guillotine. Like it was just constantly a roar after roar after roar, you know, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. And, and then I go back to the, go back to the stool and, you know, every time between rounds, people, you know, people hear the bell and then they're like, you know, they're clapping and cheering. Like that was a great round, kind of, kind of applauding you for a great round. And then we had got one of those. <clears throat> and then, uh, shoot, man, what, 19 seconds, 17 seconds into the second round, the fight's over, you know? So it's just, it's just such a crazy, interesting, unfortunate slash fortunate love story of craziness you know mixed martial arts is because i've been in that situation too where it's like you know it's a crazy round and then all of a sudden boom the fight's over and i'm like at, at my at the hands of me i'm like wow okay i just knocked him out it's over this is great you know let's go do a backflip and collect your paycheck or your belt this time i was on the the receiving end of it the wrong end of it so um you know just watching it back too, just watching kind of also just watching myself in in the octagon after the loss i think just just seeing uh i don't know just it's it's a loss and it's painful and it sucks but it's also just like it's also happiness it's also it's it's also you you shot your shot and you missed you fell short you know you 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 missed the mark you know but if if you don't miss the mark here and there 
people don't have something to really be inspired by, you know? And I think, I hope at least people saw me miss the mark on Saturday night, um, watched my dreams shatter before their eyes, and hopefully they can take something from it. And as I, as I move forward with complete disregard to that, to that loss, and we're gonna recalibrate, we're gonna reassess, we're gonna get in some, some more fun, exciting matchups with some of these top lightweights, and we're gonna entertain and we're gonna have a good time and I'm always gonna put my best foot forward and I'm always gonna try to operate with integrity, operate with character, operate in a manner that I, that I want my son Hap to see someday, that he can say, he can you know, look me up and say, okay, daddy lost these fights and he lost this. You know, what did he say after this one? What did, what did he say after this one? What did he, you know, and then, oh, here's an interview of his employer, whether it be Bellator or whether it be Dana White. What did, what did these guys say about my dad? You know, because I think that's that's what's going to be most important because I can tell them all day long. Hey, daddy is this. I did this. I did that. I am this. But when it comes from other people or it comes things he can watch and see, that's that's the big masterpiece that I talk about painting. You know, painting every, every single every win, every loss, <clears throat> every interview, everything I say, everything I do is another brushstroke on this big masterpiece that he will someday be able to, to see. And I just want I want my life and my career the ups and the downs, the wins and the losses. I want it all to be a blueprint for, for him and just in other people, people I haven't met, people I haven't had personal touch with, like just to say, hey, because this guy, this small guy from this small town who was taught to do small things, decided to disregard those, those things he was hearing, those lies that he was being told and those, those ceilings that were being put on him, those limits that were being put on him because he disregarded those, he moved forward and, and did some great things than I can too, you know. So I, I just want that, and I think you know this, this life and this career gives me that opportunity, and I'm very thankful for it. Win, lose, or draw. So even watching myself lose, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, you know. It, there's there's a there's a great there's a great great feeling and a, and a great amount of 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 happiness and contentment that comes with being exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And I, I truly believe I'm doing that. Yeah. Well, so speaking of painting that masterpiece, you have what three world titles with Bellator you've now fought in the UFC, uh, had that huge win against Dan Hooker. You've now fought for a title, almost finished the now champion. Um, what do you need now? Like, do you feel like you need that UFC title in order to complete your masterpiece? Or can you, a few years down the line, if that didn't happen, can you look back and say, you know, with, with a sense of completeness, can you look back at it? That's a great question because it's a great question and I think you would be surprised to know that I, I don't need the world title to, to, be, to be happy with my career, truthfully. I think, I think now that I have... Just with the way that my certain career has gone, I think there's a lot of guys who would sit here and say, no, I have to win the UFC title or else my, my career, I'm gonna have regrets, right? But for me, being outside the UFC for so long, being regarded as one of the top guys for so long, yet I wasn't in the UFC, and there were so many people who said, okay, well, if you think you're that good, you need to come to the UFC and prove it. Coming to the UFC and, and knocking out Dan Hooker and then now fighting Charles Oliveira and did I lose? Yes, I lost, but I lost in a world title fight and I also had him on the ropes, almost finished him, had a 10-8 round, first round. So if, if you want to sit here and say I'm not 
up there with the best of them, you're kind of kidding yourself, you know. Um, so when it comes to talent and when it comes to to that, the accolades, like I'm I'm right there with those guys. I think the biggest the biggest thing that would I, that I would have regretted was never testing free agency and never coming over to the UFC whatsoever, and that's why I made the decision and 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 with my wife and my mentors and management, you know, we, we, we made that decision. Number one, because the door felt like it was finally open. And number two, I just imagined myself, imagine myself at 40 who, you know, if I stayed with Bellator and never left, or even if I went to one of the other organizations, there's some great organizations out there, one championship, PFL, those, all those guys were offering me um, great contracts, but I knew I needed to go to the UFC and, and I, and I actually, in the, the countdown show or the lead up show, the one that's narrated by, by Ron Perlman, amazing piece and, and one of the greatest things that he, that he said in it that I've ever even heard, it gave me goosebumps was, but Chandler's legacy can only be written in the octagon. And it's, and it's true, I mean, it really is true. If, if you really want to, to build this legacy, me, Personally, it it could only be written in the UFC octagon against the biggest names, the highest level competition at the highest level, and I've gotten to do that thus far. But I just imagine the forty-year-old me, you know, trying to sleep at night on this pillow that feels like a cinder block because I just can't sleep, knowing I never tested myself and took a chance on myself, just like I did. The blueprint was already there. I walked on to the University of Missouri. The lowest guy on the total pole. I was not a, a, a state champion. I walked on. There was 40-something guys on the, on the team. I was the lowest guy on the lowest rung. Coaches didn't talk to me. Coaches didn't look at me. But I worked hard, tried to do my best, Become ended up be, making the team, becoming a four-time four -time national qualifier, an All-American, and that propelled me into mixed martial arts. So why would I not take a chance on myself again and walk on to the UFC so to speak, when I had the, the certainty of Bellator, had the certainty of even better, more lucrative offers outside the UFC. What does that say about how it worked out well in the first place when I walked onto the University of Missouri? What does that say about me if I don't do it again? So my legacy and my career is already complete. You know, that's, that's the where I, that's where I, that's why I say things like, I feel like I'm fighting on borrowed time at this point. You know, I feel like I'm, I, I'm where I need to be. And when you, when you really, you're doing what you're called to do, what you were fashioned, what you were built, what you were born to do, and you're in the right place, on the right stage for a fighter in the right promotion, then man, you're just living the dream. And that's what I'm doing. So enjoy, uh, enjoy a little bit of downtime. You know, do, do a lot of this stuff, you know, get on the mic, get on the desk, start doing some commentary, maybe. Um, stay, stay working, stay working. And, and the good thing is I'm not the guy who, who just relies on a, a paycheck inside the, inside the octagon. Like I have things outside of the, of the cage, outside of the, the competition to pay the bills because I've set myself up like that. And and just stay working in the media, on camera, on the microphone, with my boys at MMA on point, you know. No free shouts. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, just, just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride, man, and just, just keep on living the dream because this, this is a dream I, I get to live, and I get to live it because of people like you and, and fans like everyone tuning in today, man. It's, it's a lot of fun, and uh, we are far from over.
Amazing. Well, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for meeting with us. And uh, everybody stay tuned for that breakdown video. So appreciate yes, you, Michael. Thank you.